Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. People don't, deep, deep down, I think one of the biggest human tragedies in the world today is we don't believe in ourselves. We don't put a value in our own skin. So even though we might give back, we're, we just don't want to see how we can impact the world. We, 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 it's like giving a, a beautiful woman a compliment or a good looking guy a compliment. And they kind of, they, they, they take the little, what's those little things they swat a fly with? Something, they take a little fly swatter, excuse my language, if I'm plagiarizing, they swat the compliments that's coming toward. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to feel it. They certainly don't accept it because they don't believe it. They think you're just saying it because it's not true. So I think that's number one. Um, I think number two is people get so busy. They just create chaos. They create busyness. They create distractions to keep themselves from really becoming the version of themselves that they are, removing that mask and showing up and allowing the world to see how beautiful and magnificent they are. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Philip, welcome back to The Unmistakable Creative. Oh, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm actually a little bit more nervous today than previous ones because when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're, when you're being honored, um, uh, at least that's how I feel uh, to be invited back. It just feels like a, just an extra tad of pressure. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're easily one of our most popular guests of uh, all time, you know, in the seven years that we've done this. And for good reason, because our last few conversations have just been mind blowing. So no pressure there at all. But I want to start a little <laughs> bit differently than we did the, the last few times. Um, cool. Because I know people are familiar with your work, and we'll link up the previous interviews in the show notes. But you know, one of the things that you had mentioned to me when we last spoke was that you had a brother, and I have to give you know Brian, my business partner, credit for this question because we started it uh, started a few episodes with this. So, what birth order were you, and what impact has that had on your life and the choices that you've made? Well, it's funny, you know, my answer to that is I'm the baby of the family. And I think even actually now that you now you've got me thinking about it, uh, you know, saying I'm the baby of the family <laughs> means that I, I, to some extent, haven't grown up. And the fact that to some extent, no matter how I grow up and how how mature I believe I am, I'm always going to be immature in the context of my brothers. So it's it's interesting. I, I it has had an impact. Um, we, you know, we had we were three very competitive boys. Um, I always felt that I didn't have a voice. I felt that my voice didn't matter. Um, and ironically, you asked that question question, Serini, because one of the things I yearned for, and I'm sharing something very personal here, yearned for, like yearned deeply, was for my brothers to really see and hear me. And the way I contextualized that right or wrong was the day that they would come and ask me for advice, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote. And uh, I, I, I held off and waited for that day desperately yearning for them to see the value that I potentially have in this world. And uh, it never really came. And I eventually just let it go. And I mean, really emotionally, deep down, let it go. And I said, I don't need their validation. And, and it most likely will never come. Mm -hmm. And ironically, within the last 12 months, both my brothers 
um, took me aside and asked me specific advice about two areas of their lives. And I was incredibly humble, incredibly um, grateful. And, and it definitely released me from the from this old, old need, if you like. And uh, yeah, I don't know what if that's relevant, but that's just what came up for me right now. Hmm. Okay, so two things you said there. One was that you felt that you didn't have a voice. And I, I think that there are probably a lot of people who have, have felt that. And I'm wondering, you know, what do you say to those people who feel that? The other is this idea of letting go of validation. So, you know, I, I wrote about this in my book, and, and it's something that is very near and dear to me personally, because it's something I wrestle with still. Uh, and I'm curious how you finally let go of validation, how, how other people let go of their need for validation in their lives. I think we honor it. I don't think we try to run away from it. I don't think we try to let go of it. I think when you honor it, I think by honoring it, let go. So, for example, you just use the context of the conversation I just shared with you about my brothers. And I've never shared this publicly before outside of a very small private group that I work with in a coaching capacity. I've never shared this publicly. I've been known um, to do that to people. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and that's why you're so gifted at what you do. And I've said this to you many times before that, uh, you know, I always feel deeply honored on your show. Uh, I just feel you create this beautiful space. And, and anyway, I just, you know, I think you're just very, very good at what you do. Um, you know, in terms of my, my I think... I think, I think, you know, rather than realizing and identifying I need their validation and then running from it and then waking up someday and intellectually telling myself, oh, I don't need it anymore. For God's sake, I'm 40 years old. Of course, I don't need it. And thinking that it's gone, thinking that it's gone, but yet emotionally it's still playing out. What I did was I stopped and I leaned directly into that conversation. I said, OK, why do you need this? And, 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 and what what does it even look like? Because often we want something, but we don't even know how it looks like. And yet we'll continue to yearn for it for years. And I actually literally played it out, almost role played it. And I started to be compassionate about it rather than saying things like, oh, for God's sake, you're so pathetic. You're 40 years old and you're looking for your brothers to ring you and ask you advice. Get over yourself. Do you see how, how judgmental that is? And that's just suppressed. It's not honoring it. And then what I did is just created this space from a place of compassion and said, you know what? that's what you want. So be it. Great. But you know what? It may not come. And you know what? Maybe you just need to let it go. And of course, ironically, the very time you do that is the very time it comes back. So I think part of the letting go is honoring it as opposed to pretending it doesn't exist or not wanting it to exist. Honor the conversation. And I think it lets go of its grip on you. Hmm. So uh, this might be a bit personal, but what was the advice that they asked for? And what was the advice that you gave them? Yeah, it is. It is a bit. And, and, and I, I would share anything about my personal life. Sure, um, fair enough. I, but when it comes to like personal clients or people who have asked me advice, I am incredibly protective. All I will say is this. One was about business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my brother. And the other one was about uh, in the context of a relationship. And um, I, I'm a very like I would love to share the details, but I just think it would be dishonor. And particularly the fact that it was their first time coming to me. If I use that information mm -hmm. uh, to enhance this interview um, or try to while, it, while the intent is good, I think it might hurt and dishonor them. And therefore, I'd rather not get into the details if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally completely appreciate that. So one other question uh, from that was, you know, people who feel that they don't have a voice, what do you say to them? Um, well, I mean, the, the obvious thing is, that, well, you, of course you do. And, uh, but, but, but the reality is that, you know, many people have probably told them that and they probably even told themselves that. But at some level, they still they still 
feel deep down that they don't have a voice. So it's like a positive affirmations. If I have a million people who lined up and we got one of your listeners who struggles with not finding their voice, which I'm, I'm absolutely sure there's many. Um, and, and finding your voice is not speaking on a stage. Finding your voice is not doing a podcast necessarily. Finding your voice is not writing a book. Finding your voice is just trusting yourself to speak your truth at home behind closed doors as well as being on the street and honoring yourself so you don't feel you're suppressing a part of who you are. Typically, we do that. We don't honor our voice for a number of different reasons. Number one is maybe we haven't been schooled to do that. And what I mean by school is I don't mean traditional education. I mean the school of life. Um, Maybe we're brought up to suppress our emotions, to hide a part of who we are, to cry when the doors are closed. So our parents sometimes have not necessarily been the greatest attributes of encouraging this, um, you know, spoken truth, um, uh, which by the way, I believe is our emotion. It's it's how we feel. Our truth is how we feel, not what we think. Um, so I think, you know, that's played an impact. Um, you know, sometimes we just don't have the confidence. We don't think that the world sees our truth as valuable. And I would, I would encourage you to look at, rather than looking at ways to improve it, to find your voice, to bring it from a whisper to a roar, that's one strategy. But I'd rather you say, well, why isn't it there? Why, why do I not trust my truth? Why, why do I feel I don't have a voice? Why does the world not see and hear me when I speak? What is that really about? And again, do a deeper dive into that conversation. And then I would, and then, and then coming out of that, I wouldn't wait and put your life on pause till you figure it all out. Mm. I would find ways um, I mean, I do a thing called One Last Talk, which you know, you've been at. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a great example of putting people on a stage who have never shared, um, in some cases, ever spoken publicly. And they share part of their truth. And it's staggering, not just how it can potentially impact the audience, but how it ultimately shifts their perspective on their story. So share a part of your truth in a safe environment uh, where you may not be judged and start to get comfortable with sharing parts of your story that perhaps you haven't shared before and and see that maybe you're doing it not for you, you're doing it to help other people, that your story is not about you. Your story has the impact and the potential to actually, you know, to to, to move the needle for other people. Stop making the journey about you. Um, that's probably my biggest challenge or invitation to people in the context of their story. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about how we suppress you know, our truth around certain people. And I know that I've I've seen myself do it in situations where I'm thinking, okay, I want to impress this person. I shouldn't say this. (laughs) And and it kind of takes us back to that whole idea of validation. Like I've seen myself do it, particularly in the context of intimate relationships. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, there's the story I share, um, you know, just, it's a little anecdotal story, but I think it's a wonderful expression or example of this is, is there's a lady I, I did some work with and she ended up going on a blind date and she found herself at home putting on makeup that she wouldn't, wouldn't ordinarily wear or, or, or an amount of it that typically was uncomfortable for her wearing shoes or high heels that she hadn't worn in years. And, and you're kind of sprucing herself up, but in a way that wasn't in alignment with who she started to uncover was her real authentic self, so to speak. She goes to this date and very quickly within the first 10 minutes, they establish that really there's no connection and that rather than waste the opportunity of the meal, they said, well, why don't we just have dinner and just connect? And as it turns out, they got to this conversation, well, what do you look for in a man or what do you look for in a woman? And the guy said, well, no disrespect. It's not a judgment. I just love women who are comfortable without makeup and women who don't feel the need to doll themselves up. And she's looking at this guy going, oh, my God. 
holy shit, this is exactly, I'm dressed up exactly in the way that I'm not meant, like this is not me. So what we do is when we walk out into the world, we wear masks, we wear makeup, we wear clothes, we wear whatever, not because we're comfortable always, but because we want to fit in, we want to be seen, we want to be liked. And that really speaks to a deep insecurity within the context of our own skin that perhaps we've never addressed. And that to me is when you address that, you don't need external validation from your brothers, your wives, your cousins or your neighbors for that matter. Hmm. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that I know you have kids, um, I know you're married, and I'm curious, you know, given the work that you do and the fact that you spend so much time um, helping adults make change in their lives, how has that impacted the way you raise kids? And what would you say to parents who are listening? <laughs> I was asked, um, I spoke on a stage uh, in Toronto, I did a keynote speech, and, and uh, I only had time for one question at the end. We did a lot of interaction, but I only took one formal question. And this gentleman said, um, he said, have you got advice on parenting? And I jokingly said, well, let's start with an easy one. And of course, everyone laughs and I said, you know, Jesus, what a big subject. And I paused and not because I was thinking, I was actually pausing and I was actually filtering whether, and I tend not to do that. I was filtering whether what I was about to share, what was on, like, what was in my heart was appropriate and how it would be judged. And I said it anyway. And I looked at this man in front of 700 people and I said, no matter what you do as a parent, you're going to fuck your kids up. <laughs> and he completely kind of fell apart. The audience fell apart. Most of them, some of them were absolutely outraged and disgusted by what I had just said and maybe jumped to conclusions. And I said, guys, before you judge me, allow me to explain. Number one is, did I need to use an F-bomb? No. But does using an F-bomb make it a little bit more dramatic? And I don't mean for effect. I mean in terms of it jarring us emotionally. And But really, my bigger invitation and, 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 and perspective was to say, no matter what you do as a parent, you're going to mess your kids up. So what I'm asking you to do is not give up on them. It's not a case of, well, sure, gee, if that's the case, McKernan, I'm just going to give up. It's not. But what I'm asking people to do is to let go and to know that no matter how perfect their life is, no matter how they parent a child, no matter how amazing they think they are, that their kids are going to find nuances and aspects of how they were parented that are going to come back and going to bite them in the ass. So what it does, is it gives you freedom. It gives you this like, okay, I'm going to mess my kids up. I'll do my best, but I'm not going to try and be the best. So you take the pressure off. That's number one. Number two is, and here's the biggest point I believe, is, you know, be the, you know, as Gandhi said, be the change, but like be the person that you want them to be. And I don't, I don't mean that do a fake it. I mean, organically. So the example I use is, um, let's just say the parent themselves is in a situation where they're misaligned. They're misaligned with the work they do. They're misaligned in the relationship with themselves. They're misaligned with the relationship externally and they're struggling and they're justifying and rationalizing staying in that job or business that they don't like because they're doing it for their kids. Now, with respect, I don't think that's fair to your children because your children didn't ask for that. They didn't come into this world and say, hey, dad, hey, mom, use me as a reason not to make a change and live your dreams. And here's what happens. If I ask a parent, say, okay, let's just say fast forward and your little son, Johnny, comes to you with the same predicament and says, I'm misaligned, I'm not happy, what would you say to them? Most parents would say, change, do something, live your dreams, don't settle. You're worth more than that. The world needs you, whatever, whatever those things are. And my question is, well, why aren't you doing that? Oh, well, it's different for me. It's different. I need to put the kids through college. I need to do this. I need to do that. And here's what happens. In 25 years from now, if that conversation ever happens, it is a lecture. 
And that son, Johnny, who's now 25 years older, is either externally or internally rolling his eyes to heaven because he's basically saying, Dad, I hear what you're saying. Thanks, Mom, for the advice. But you know what? You guys didn't do it. If you live your dream, if you move towards what is an authentic expression of yourself, if you uncover, not find because you already have it, the courage to make changes, to move, to be almost selfish in that in that advance and, and, and don't live your life through the lens of your children. And what will happen is you'll inspire your kids by osmosis, by proximity. You'll inspire their soul to believe that they're worth more. So when they hit a wall in 25 years, they'll go, my dad had the courage. My mother had the courage to say no and to change it. And I'm going to do the same. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's do this. Um, let's shift gears and get into why you're really here. So, you know, I know people who follow you in Facebook already have probably seen it. You have recently uh, finished work on a, a documentary film, and I can only imagine the work is amazing. But I'd like to start with kind of, you know, how the seed got planted for doing something like this, because really, you know, you're known for speaking and coaching. You're not necessarily known as a filmmaker. And I personally, I think labels limit your capacity. So I think it's awesome that you're doing this. Um, but I, I'd love to talk about, you know, sort of where the seed got planted for this. Yeah, and I think you've just touched on something very beautiful, and the way you said it is so poetic, is that the seed, you know, so many people are limited by the labels they put on themselves, the stories they've been told, and I'm one of these people that I want to, I, I, like, I want to become a human disruptor, I want to disrupt the conversation, and if I have to be the guy to take the lead in some area to prove that you can be a filmmaker, you can write a book despite being dyslexic, you can speak in a stage despite the fact that you had horrendous low confidence or whatever, if I can be the catalyst to help somebody realize that they can do the same thing, well, that's that. I, I'm willing to, to put in the work to do that. You know, it's really that, you know, the, the actual seed i mean i've always been a fan of films and even documentaries to some extent but never imagined i mean even as you say filmmaker it feels kind of weird uh, ever imagined that i'd be that person that i could achieve something to that extent and number one as i say i i mean be very clear here i put a team together and the team really you know facilitated and processed this as well like i don't I, well i know i couldn't have done it on my own um at the same time, it does take somebody that has the vision and has the, the courage to put their hand up and say, I'm going to do this. So about two and a half, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm guessing about two and a half years ago, I had a gentleman who came in and spoke to one of my small uh, coaching programs at the time, a guy called James, who is the filmmaker for Food Matters and Hungry for Change. And uh, James came in and was very gracious with his time. We'd met before I was on stage and he'd heard me speak. And um He's gone on to make a number of films um, and, and, and make an impact in the world. And he just came in in his very low-key, very unassuming, very passionate, very engaging way, just shared his journey. And in that moment, it was just like, shit, why not? Why couldn't I be a filmmaker? Now, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have the, the story. And then uh, Give and Grow, which is very close to my heart, is this is this old message that we have just kind of reintroduced to the world to some extent, was floating around. And I said, well, what would it be like to bring a film crew to India um, a, year, a year and a bit ago? And that was the beginning of it. And um, it was two years, two and a half years ago, the idea was was placed or the seed was set. And then about 12 months ago, we pulled the trigger and... Um, we will have turned around a full feature-length documentary within a, within a space of 12 months uh, when it's launched in the next two or three weeks. Wow. So before we hit record, you were telling me about a day in Sri Lanka at an orphanage that really kind of was one of those moments of inspiration for this. I'd love for you to tell us a bit about that in a bit more detail. 
Yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the most, one of the most, there's not many, there's probably only about three or four real pivotal moments in my life. And one was when I went to Sri Lanka a year after the tsunami had hit. And rather than, um, you know, allow myself to sit in the five-star hotel on Christmas Day, I said to my wife, I, I cannot, or actually it was Christmas Eve, I said, I feel really uncomfortable. And Christmas morning, I went for a walk on the beach. And uh, I remember just these turtles. I don't know what the significance of the turtles were, quite frankly, but I remember the stirring in the water. I walk into the ocean fully clothed um, and these massive turtles were just under the surface three of them and they just far two or three of them they floated just around me I came out of the water looked my wife in the eyes and I said I have to leave this hotel and we just drove and we found ourselves in this remote area you know walking into a little B&B and uh, meeting a lady because I wanted to give back. I had this yearning, screaming that I needed to give back, that there was something more important on this island than than me having a holiday. And I met this lady who ironically uh, was going to an orphanage on the day of this, the, the one year anniversary of the tsunami. And I went with her. And um, that was just so pivotal and huge for me because what it did was when I came back from that experience, the biggest thing was not just that I enjoy spending time with the kids, but something shifted inside me and I said, really, I'd love to tell you, I, I got it at the time, but it was kind of just this feeling that I couldn't put my finger on, that something had shifted. And really what happened was my value shifted. I started to feel, not think, that actually maybe you're here for a bigger reason, McKernan. That was number one. And number two is when I came back, everyone was hung over, everyone was you know, <laughs> dying, of, you know, eating too much, dreading going back to work. And that would have been me and was me. And for the first time I looked and said, I don't have to do this. I don't have to go to work to a job that's not thrilling me. I don't have to drink too much alcohol and just be hungover. I don't. It gave me choices, and it gave. It's just like taking off a, a set of glasses and putting on a new set that just had a different lens, and that was pivotal in me beginning the idea of moving to Canada. And it was about twelve or fourteen or eighteen months later, we moved uh, from Ireland, the place I love and kind of started to reinvent or maybe find who I really was in this world and my place in this world and what I was here to do. So I've asked numerous people why people miss pivotal moments, but I am actually much more interested in something else uh, with you. Why do you think most people don't, or so many people don't do anything in those pivotal moments? I think they don't create the space. So, so, so when I look at, well, let's just personalize it to this volunteering, if you like, or working in orphanages. There's many people that have worked in orphanages and whatever, and they haven't come back and they haven't made change. Um, they, they've gone and worked at the homeless people. They've gone to soup, you know, kitchens, you know, homeless shelters. They've gone to their neighbors. They've helped people. They haven't made a change. I think, I think there's, there's a number of different things. Number one is I think people don't deep, deep down. I think one of the biggest human tragedies in the world today is we don't believe in ourselves. We don't put a value in our own skin. So even though we might give back, we're, we just don't want to see how we can impact the world. We, 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 it's like giving a, a beautiful woman a compliment or a good looking guy a compliment. And they kind of, they, they, they take the little, what's those little things they swat a fly with something. They take a little fly swatter, excuse my line, if I'm plagiarizing, they swap the compliments that's coming toward. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to feel it. They certainly don't accept it because they don't believe it. They think you're just saying it because it's not true. So I think that's number one. Um, I think number two is people get so busy. They just create chaos. They create busyness. They create distractions to keep themselves from really becoming the version of themselves that they are, removing that mask and showing up and allowing the world to see how beautiful and magnificent they are. There, there are two kind of reasons, if you like, or two things that happen. But the other thing is that sometimes 
in, and this is this is what was frustrating me. I, I don't mean that going and volunteering doesn't work, but here's the missing link in 99.9%, if not all, volunteer experiences. You go, you volunteer, you feel good, hopefully. You go home and you may make a change, but you're not sure what just happened. So what I created was this, 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 this concept where we would go and give back. Then we would create space in nature and then we would process, okay, so very simple questions, but we would go deeper and say, okay, what happened for you this week? What child spoke to you? What moved you emotionally? Why did it move you emotionally? How does this relate to your life? What, how does this relate in the context of your gift, not your talent? Where does your gift play into this? And ultimately start to move towards the space of what are you going to do as a result of this beautiful you know, this, 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 this incredible experience of giving because the giving doesn't just help other people. It unlocks us. It changes us. But the thing is, we don't necessarily process that. So what would happen with India, we process this. And what you find is people before, during and afterwards. And some of the changes these people made, leaving cities they didn't like, changing businesses that they weren't particularly aligned to, leaving jobs they hated and just becoming better leaders in not such society, but in the context of their own businesses. So to me, the processing, why did this move you emotionally? That's missing from a lot of the societal conversation. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So I, I want to talk uh, really more in depth about this idea of giving. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, you said a phrase to me when we first started speaking and hit re- before we hit record about this idea that giving unconditionally causes us to grow exponentially, which I, I just absolutely loved. Um, so I want to talk about sort of what you meant by that. Um, look at it in detail. And I know you also mentioned as part of the, the film, you work with neuroscientists to kind of look at how, how does this impact people on a brain level? So I'm curious about all of those things. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of giving going on in the world today and it's great. And even if a corporation gives, you know, $2.4 million a year and it's purely for marketing, does the $2.5 million make an impact in the world? Of course it does. So it's not, it's not a judgment space. And there's a lot of people are giving through the lens of writing checks. And, and I, I myself have raised money in the last 12 months to build an orphanage. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just think it's limited. I don't think it has the, well, sorry, I know it doesn't have the capacity to move the needle for us emotionally um, in the same way that actually putting ourselves in the trenches, putting ourselves in the fire line of actually giving of ourselves unconditionally without using any um, materialistic item like pencils or shoes or clothing or even money for that matter in the way. We've become a society that when it comes to giving, a lot of us look at giving through the lens of money. And what I'm suggesting is that what, what we do is we bring people away in these trips and said, you don't give money, you don't give gifts, you give yourself. You And they're, and they're going, what does that mean? What does that look like? And of course, you it, you can't really describe it and, and experience it until you're there. No, no language. So uh, phrase books are not allowed. And I don't mean not allowed you can bring a phrase book but I encourage people not to and to watch people just sit down with a young child and the young child all they want and we've specialized in working with kids and orphans and street kids all they want is they just want to be seen. They want to feel. They want to know that you care about them, that you, you that, they, that they matter, even for a minute, even for a day, even for like a week. And it's extraordinary what happens. And here's what I believe happens. When you see them for who they are, and you allow yourself, you give yourself the courage to be vulnerable and allow your guard down and allow your insecurities about not getting emotional, not having a phrase book, not having a toy in your hand. What happens is they see you too. And they see right into your soul and you're accepted and seen sometimes in a way that you have never been seen before. And it shifts you. It just shifts who you are. So when we give a lot of the time, we have this, we give you know, we do have some conditions. We, we expect something in return. We expect when we bring a pie to our neighbor that in some way they'll bring a pie back or they'll bring a bottle of wine back or they'll do the snow on our driveway or, or, or they'll shut their dog up from barking. We, we sometimes give and we have some sort of residual expectation of what we get in return. And if we can let go of that, give unconditionally of ourselves, the growth that's available for us is I can't put words on it. All I know is what it's done for me and what it's done for clients that I serve. Um, it's huge. Hmm. 
I'm very curious. What did uh, what did these kids teach you uh, about yourself, and what did they teach the people that uh, came on this trip with you? Like, what did people learn about themselves from these kids? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Um, I, I think what they do is that they 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 if if if, if let's just purely make this self like personally about the individual who goes to help and to give back. I think you learn about yourself, not just intellectually, but I think you really get to know yourself on a very deep emotional sense, a really wonderful sense of awareness. Um, so I'll give you an example of this uh, to try and contextualize it. I had one lady who came on a trip and at the end of it, we do this workshop and I just asked a very simple question. I said, what child spoke to you what child really spoke to you? And I don't mean physically spoke to you, but what one that stood out? What one were you emotionally um, drawn to? And so they start identifying that. They see parts of themselves in these kids. And then they start to go, wow, I never would have joined that dot on my own. And then another question I asked just to follow up on that is, what did you bring to these children? And I remember one lady sitting to my right. She's five foot nothing. She's this tiny little lady, but she's got a heart as big as a rhino. And She's sitting next to me and I and she said, what do you mean, like toys? And I said, no, what did you bring? What part of your your soul, did your personality, part, part, part of your essence did you bring? And she couldn't come up with anything. And yet she literally was like, the epitome of giving in this group, like everyone was amazed of how she gave so unconditionally. The only thing she didn't do was cut her vein and pour her blood on the table, literally. I mean, that she gave everything and she couldn't identify it. And eventually she got so uncomfortable. I said, right, guys, everyone put your pens down. I said, this lady cannot identify one thing that she brought to the children outside of materialistic items. Let's help her out. What did you see that she brought to these children? And one guy raises his hand and says, how many hours have we got for this exercise? And she just started crying. This is a woman who has such a heart, who is a wonderful mother, has given so much to her children, who supports her husband beyond belief, and she cannot recognize her own value on this earth. If it happens in Guatemala in an orphanage, trust me, it happens in her home uh, every single day. And the guys and the girls fed back your personality, your sense of humor, your, your just your willingness to give unconditionally and she's literally there tears rolling down her face so she said to me afterwards that's the greatest gift i have ever been giving <clears throat> just to realize that i have value beyond belief and she just never would have seen that before unless we took the time to have and to do that exercise so I guess the the other question uh, is, what are the lives of these kids in orphanages like? And, and what do we what misperceptions do we have? And what do we not know? Like, what are we not seeing about the reality of this situation? Well, I think that's a great, another wonderful question. I mean, I, I had one lady who said, oh, you know, I really want to go on one of these retreats, this give and grow retreat. But she said, you know, what, what, what happens when you leave the kids? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, well I'll be so upset. And I said, well, number one is you don't know. And number two is you're making it all about you. She goes, what do you mean? I said, this is all about you right now. You're not going to give the kids. You're, you're here and you want to make sure that you're safe and that you don't cry and you're not vulnerable and you're not upset. And I said, quite frankly, if that's the case, I understand why you would do that because I would have done that. But quite frankly, then it's probably not a fit. And she goes, OK. So she got over that. She came and she and, and as she left the kid, she goes, oh, my God, with a smile right across her face. Was there a bit of sadness? Yeah. But the joy, the overwhelming joy. So we have this massive misconception about what it is like to go and work with orphans and street kids in these different places around the world. 
massive misconception. We think we're going to help them out, to save them from the world. And we go thinking that we're, our heart's going to ripped apart when we leave there. And I'm telling you right now, it is the absolute opposite of that. You have no idea what you're going to get. And again, that's not why we do it. So you'll end up getting way more than you could ever even fathom. Number one. Number two is the the, the, the one thing that's overridingly obvious is when you get to these places is not that they're perfectly happy. And people who tell you, oh, people in the third world and undeveloped countries, they're all way happier than I'm not sure it's as simple as that. But there is there is a happiness in amongst this disorder, this pain, this this emptiness. There's this happiness and this joy that's genuine. It's not put on. It's not they're pretending to be happy on Facebook every day like some people. Um, they're not putting their best foot forward. You, you see what you get and you, you get what you see and, and you feel them. And they don't have all of the, they don't wear masks and the simplicity of their life. They don't have stuff. And uh, one little example that's in the documentary is a lady who uh, came from uh, Canada. She came on this trip and she's there to help the kids again, help uh, quote unquote. And this girl comes over and could see that she was so uncomfortable, not just in the orphanage, but in her life. She took her by the hand. She brought her upstairs to show her a little dorm area where she lived with 20 other kids and her life's possessions and this little girl gave her her earrings as a gift. This orphan girl who has almost nothing wanted to give her a gift and gave one of my, I wouldn't call her a client, a friend, a, a clan, one of our members. She gave her her earrings to, to acknowledge her and say, thank you for coming to visit us. We have this such a misconception about what is going on in this in, the, in these places. And we also think that. In order to help, we need to raise money. We need to buy a washing machine. We need to do this. The kids need to be seen. They need to know that someone cares about them, that they have value in this world. And that is the greatest thing that we can do for these children. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking uh, about how the people who come uh, to this change, I'm very interested in how the kids change as a byproduct of, of the work that you guys do there. Yeah, I mean, some of it, I, some of it, I have to speculate a little bit and hope. Um, sure. But I can tell you one thing: I can show you actual photographs of of literally photographs of a child uh, or children as we get, as we come to the orphanage and how they're so standoffish and how they're they're so. Um, they they want to be close, but they're 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 guarded because they don't want to be let down. They don't want to be abandoned. They don't want to be this. They don't want to be that. And literally show you photographs of those kids a day later, two days later, three days later, literally buried into a conversation, buried into a hug, and literally buried in, and knowing that they're safe. And the consistent feedback we get from every single project we've ever went to is that our groups are different than any other group that has ever come through the door. Other Christian groups coming through the door, they're there because they want to give Bibles. I'm not saying they have no they don't care about the kids and, and, and there's not some groups that don't have um, a genuine desire to give unconditionally. But a lot of the giving is the, the other thing they cannot stand. These young kids cannot stand is tourists coming in, doing the orphanage thing. Tick. Yeah, did that. Take some photographs and then leave. They know the difference. Kids, you can't bullshit a kid. They know the difference between someone who's giving unconditionally and truly wants to be there as opposed to people who think they should be there and have to do the orphanage thing are there with a condition that you must read my Bible and believe in what I say before I contribute to you. So that's a lot of conditional giving. Um, we've literally had kids um, uh, say to us that this group is different than any other group we've ever had. We went to one organization, for example, and it was um, 
mentally challenged, disabled. Um, I can sometimes get mixed up and trying to be over politically correct. And my question to the the, the owner, the, the organizer, they had no outdoor place to play in uh, Serini. And I said, to the, I said, how often do they go out? So, well, they haven't, that girl's been out. She was out last week. And I said, no, no, I'm talking about the, the whole orphanage. How, how often do they've never been out together? I said, they've never been outside together. I said, no, 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 no. They, they, they're, they're too mentally challenged. They're too physically challenged. And I just said, I said, excuse my language, I said, fuck that. And I said, we're bringing them out now. And she goes, no, you can't do that. And I said, watch me. And we got everyone together and every one of our clients, our clan took one of the children. In some cases, they were so physically challenged, two people had to take them. And we brought them down the road to a park. (laughs) It's... It's 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 obviously it's 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 very emotional like rethinking and remembering this, but it was so beautiful. We literally had people beeping the horn, shouting out the windows at us, and I thought they were giving out to us for being in the middle of the road. They were saying thank you. These were the locals who knew these kids were left in this room, left in this building, and they'd never been taken outside ever before. And we had the locals thanking us for doing it, and the joy in these kids' lives, like in the faces. I can't. I just. Maybe I'm in complete denial, but I feel to my soul that even that one day where someone gave them the freedom who said, you're not so messed up or so um, unwelcomed in society that you can't come outside the door with us, to know that, that, that they are more than welcome, that they deserve to be out in a playground like everybody else. I can't, and no one will convince me otherwise. I've seen it in their eyes, the shift it makes in those people. Wow. Um, so I, I'm very curious, you know, what you learned uh, from sort of a neuroscience and brain science perspective about the kinds of change changes this causes in the brain, uh, given that you, you've had a neuroscience uh, researcher in the film. Yeah, I, I, you know, you're going to be maybe surprised, maybe not surprised, and maybe this will frustrate the shit out of people. <laughs> Honestly, and I would say this with the greatest respect in the world to Mark, who came in and uh, and, and gave his expertise. Um, and this might sound so bad, but I invited Mark in because I wanted to make sure that the skeptics didn't just shut out the message and say, hey, this is just all woo-woo, fluffy bullshit. Yeah. Honestly, Sereni, I don't even know. He, What he says, I respect fully. And he comes at it from a very clinical, very research-based, very scientific perspective. What I'll tell you this is for certain. He absolutely, 100% backs up and validates every single thing that we believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. He talks about the difference between giving money and actually being in the trenches and giving back uh, personally. The details, I don't know. And not that it doesn't matter to me, but it doesn't matter to me because no one can replace, I don't care what science says, when you're in front of a child, you're in an orphanage and are holding those kids' hand, looking into their eyes, when you see that shift emotionally, when you work with a client who comes back after being in India with us and looks me in the eyes and said, McKernan, if nothing else, that trip, that giving, I cannot lie to myself anymore. I have to make changes in my life to bring more meaning and alignment into my life. That's all I need. I don't need the science to prove it. The reason we brought Mark in, and I'm very glad we did, is to illustrate to the skeptics, the very heady people who need the research, that's why we brought him in. Um, In terms of the details of what we got from that, um, I can't even explain it. I'd rather let people watch the film or or look it up in Google or or whatever when you give scientifically, unconditionally, how it helps you grow and see your life differently. Um, I think they can find that information pretty straightforward. 
Okay. So we've talked quite a bit about a lot of the changes and, and sort of experiences that people had. I'm really now very curious about the creative process for putting something like a film together. Like what is involved from a creative side of all of this? Like, because, you know, it doesn't seem as simple as going and shooting footage. And I know from what I'm told about documentaries, you shoot like hundreds of hours of footage for two minutes that make it into a film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, sorry, I'm just a bit rattled because I mean, I, I didn't expect to cry here. So you, you, you've, you've achieved one thing today. I feel like I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm, in, I'm in the film Jerry Maguire and, and I'm saying I will not cry, but yet I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, so for me, the advice that I got was categorically, you must figure out your distribution first and work from the distribution back into the distribution channel and work back in there for the film and the story and there for the team that you put around it. So it's basically coming out, you know, coming up with the outcome and then working backwards. And while I knew nothing about filmmaking at the time, um, I, I chose not to take that advice to, to, despite my, my intellect saying that's the, the way to do it. Because I felt that if I did that, it would distort the message. It would distort the story, that I would create the film in a different way, the message in a different way, that it would sell and it would be more marketable and I wouldn't necessarily honor the same message. So I said, I'm not going to do that. And I went against my intellect. I followed my gut and I said, no, I'm going to create a film that I believe the world needs to hear and I'll figure out the distribution afterwards. And a lot of people would say that that's crazy, but that's the way I approached it. Um, so the creative process is very much being with the story that I feel the world needs to hear, but not being over attached to it. And what I mean by that is, as we headed out into India and we started to film, we had one kind of intention, but without being over attached to it. And what ended up coming, this story of giving unconditionally and growing exponentially was the backbone of the filming, the interviews, the conversations that we had. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, but what ended up emerging from the film really was it's actually all about our gifts. It's all about uncovering understanding and unleashing our gifts on the world are not as the case for some people. And um, so the, the, the story took a little bit of a twist in amongst the giving unconditionally. The, the emergence of this gift. And I honestly believe if I was too attached to the outcome um, in terms of the storyline or I had manufactured the, the distribution work backwards, we would have missed that subtlety, which I believe is the most significant part of the film right now. So that's the creative side of it. The, the actual structural side of it, the, probably the best thing I did was I put a director in place. Um, I removed myself from being the guy from an egotistical and an operational standpoint, being the guy that had to own and run everything. I put a filmmaker in place, or sorry, a, a director in place who basically had made films before. I put a, a co-director in place. I put a producer in place and I removed myself a lot from the from the day-to-day -day stuff and they, that's the two big things that I did which probably I believe created the biggest impact in this film wow wow um so one last question about this, you know, you mentioned that you detached from outcomes and, and you, you know, you and I talked briefly uh, about detaching from outcomes before. And it, this is something very personal to me at the moment, because um, it's something that I had to, to learn how to deal with in the process of putting a book out into the world that didn't meet the expectations I originally had for it. Um, so I, I'm curious, you know, when you're looking at creative projects of any kind, how do you develop the mindset uh, that allows you to detach from outcomes and ultimately allows the work to become what it's destined to be. Yeah, to me, it, my focal point is less about distribution, less about sales, less about Facebook likes, uh, less about um, numbers of, of books or films or anything else. To me, it's about uh, why am I doing the message? Like, what 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 is the what, what the, what's the why behind the project? 
And for me, it's, it's uh, you know, I have this way of detaching and saying it's not about me. It's about the people I'm trying to serve, the message I'm trying to get off. So when I when I move into those insecure places and those fear-based places where I go, shit, what if no one watches the film? What if no one comes? What if it's, if it's play, like, what if people rip it apart and say it's shit? What if my grandmother's the only person that buys the film, et cetera, et cetera? If I go into that, those paranoid, worried places where it's very much in from a place of my mind and my brain, um, I, I bring myself back in saying, hang on a second, we've already achieved an outstanding goal with this film. And I'll give you an example. The rough cut, um, for those of you uh, maybe listening who don't understand filmmaking, you trust me, I, I, I'm, 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 I was part of this process. The rough cut is basically your, you know, it's basically literally what it says. It's a rough cut. So it's basically as the, the film is being pieced together, it's not beautifully edited. There's no music. It's just a rough cut. So it's basically your first version of your film without the editing happening. Same as a book in some ways. And Matt, who's part of our team um, basically played it and allowed his mother to watch it just to just to get just to get a bit of a finger in the pulse his mother said well apart from crying in various parts in the film I literally stopped watching the film and I, I went online and researched where to volunteer in my own community and Matt is sharing this and I'm literally there's tears in my eyes this is this is the rough cut. So we've already achieved, I believe, something magnificent. Not that Matt's mother is not a good person, but <laughs> Matt Matt's mother has never been the type of person that would volunteer outside of her own family, outside of her own environment. And if nothing else, we've got one person to go out into the world and start to volunteer. And who knows where that'll go? Um, so to me, I'm always, always, always with the people that this message is serving and the kids we're trying to and the people that we've served when we're in India in this particular uh, project, making sure that they're honored, that we're not using them to sell a film, we're not using them to sell some promotional thing, that we're honoring their existence, we're honoring their pain. And and there has to be a purpose in the pain in this world. And, and to find the pain, to deliver it hopefully in a respectful way, and I can't decide that your listeners, any of those who ever watch the film will be the deciders of this, is that hopefully we've honored the discomfort and the pain and the challenges these people have. And that's how I focus on it. And after that, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm so out to lunch maybe i should be focused on the commercial reality you know how to market the shit out of this thing how to do this and how, i just it's not my style hmm. wow um well this has been amazing so first off where can people learn more about the film uh, giveandgrow.com giveandgrow.com so basically they can watch the trailer there if they like what they see great if they don't so be it and then uh, the film will be out in uh, I'm guessing within the next uh, number of weeks and uh, we're excited and very nervous at the same time and um, yeah hopefully it's uh, received reasonably well awesome well uh, I want to finish with my last question, which is, is funny because you, you're the one person that I've probably asked this question to three times in a very short period of time. Uh, so I'm very curious to see if your answer will change, uh, which means I'll have to go back and listen to the previous ones. But what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think what makes people unmistakable is their truth. Um, if they've got the courage to to speak their truth, find their voice. And I think in a world, unfortunately, that uh, conspires and really desperately wants us to be in line and uh, to, to, to pull the line and to, to be similar and be more robotic, I think what makes somebody unmistakable is if they can uh, uncover the courage just to speak their truth every day and to take the masks off and be themselves, not anybody else, just be themselves. And I don't think there's anything more unbelievable or unmistakable about a person who just is comfortable in their own skin. Um, it's very beautiful. It's very attractive and it's more of what the world needs.
Well, uh, I, I'm really, really thrilled to have had you back here on The Unmistakable Creative for a third time and, and really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share more of your story and your insights with our listeners. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.